welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. So as we get started today in the passage, we're going to be in 1 Peter. And before we, we read the passage, I have a couple of questions for you. So it will be a little bit interactive. These are real questions I want you to interact with. These aren't just hypothetical. How many of you guys saw a movie or a television show this week? Watched some, something on, on TV, your phone, anything. Okay, most of us watched something. How many of you guys know how they made that? Like what the intricacies were, how they, they constructed, how to write it, how to edit it, the colorization, the special effects, that you feel like you could, you could go out there and, and tell them, okay, this is how it's done. <laughs> that last part just took Ryan out. My wife says she can, and I believe her because we do that. So not many of us, right? And why is that? Because movies are for fans, right? We watch a movie, we consume it, it, it makes us feel good, it helps us forget, and then we go on with life, right? How many of you guys have purchased something this week from a, a store, online, made any sort of purchase, spent any money this week? Come on, you guys... People who didn't spend money are in here? Okay, so <laughs> it's like, tell me how you're doing your budget, because <laughs> this sounds like a savings plan. How many of you guys know how the store works? You know about all the logistics and the, the shipping and the vendors and the negotiations and the prices and the payroll and the, the just kind of the operations, right? How many of you guys know about that? A couple people, right? People who have worked in retail mostly, right? So the reason we don't know about that is because when we go and purchase something, we're there as a consumer, right? There's something that we want, something that is going to be, uh, meet a need that we have. We purchase it, and then we don't have any further relationship with that place. We don't need to know anything else. They've brought us what we needed, and that's all that we need them for. So what you might be asking yourself is, what on earth does this have to do with church? Today we're in 1 Peter 5, and we're looking at verses 1 through 5, and, and verses 1 through 5 are Peter talking to the elders of the churches that he's addressing. And, and there could be a temptation, there could be a thought, subconscious or conscious, that this passage doesn't have to do with me, right? That this is to Josh and David and Eric, and, and we can kind of just check out, and you know we'll, we'll check back in on like around verse four and a half when it says the younger, which isn't that a blessing? Like how many of you guys thought, man, this is great. You're, you're going to be called the younger. Some, that'll be really great for some of you, I hope. Uh, and, and it's important to know this. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's important to, to know that when we look at this, we're not just a consumer of the church. We're not just a fan of the church. So this is relevant because Peter thought it was relevant. Right? This is relevant to us because Peter didn't write a separate letter to the elders of the churches that was just to them. This was to the whole church so that the whole church would know how the church is supposed to operate. You guys are supposed to know how we are supposed to be leading for two reasons. Right? One, so that we're accountable. One, that, that you know, like, oh yeah, we are right before the Lord. And two, because some of you are called to a higher level of leadership. And, and, and this is to know where you're, you're shooting for, right? Where you're, you're headed towards. So there, there's multiple reasons that, that this is relevant to you. And I think it's going to be a blessing because, you know, we're going to talk about this today. And my hope is 
that as we look at this passage, that you guys feel like this is a good thing that God has created, and for good reasons, okay? So there's a little bit of a, a start for you. Hopefully you'll dig in and, and we'll really think about this. Um, so you can turn your, your Bibles in First Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way through verse 5. So it says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray real quick. Lord, as we dig into your word, um, I just pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, there's no reason for anybody to be here to listen to things that I have to say. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would filter through my mind um, the things that, that, that I've read and looked at and prepared, and, and you would just bring the things that would be encouraging to my brothers and sisters, uh, things that would be exhorting to them, that would be challenging to them. Lord, I pray that you would be moving amongst us. Lord, we desire to be changed by your word. We desire to be changed by your spirit. Lord, we desire, as Ephesians says, to walk in the good works that you have placed before us, and, and we want to do that in full obedience and, and full of joy and, and just desire to be more like you. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us in this time. Lord, Spirit, I pray that you would fill us with this time. Jesus, I pray that you would be blessed, that you would be glorified uh, for, for what you have done as an example to us. Lord, we lift this time up to you and just pray that you would be in it, that you would be with us, and that you would be praised. Amen. All right. So first thing that we want to do, uh, let's define what an elder is. Uh, so there's a, a man, his name is uh, Alexander Strzok. He wrote a book called Biblical Eldership. There it goes. Uh, and he has this definition. It, it works really well. Elders lead the church, and, and he references 1 Timothy and Titus and, and this passage and Peter. They teach and preach the word. Again, we're looking at Timothy, uh, Titus. They protect the church from false teachers. We see that in Acts, uh, and in Acts 20, and, and in the beginning and the end of the chapter. Uh, they exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine. Again, we see that in uh, instruction in Timothy and Titus for that. They visit the sick and they pray. There's a call to do that in James, to, to call the elders to pray for you. We also see that happening in the book of Acts. They judge doctrinal issues, uh, which we see in Acts, uh, as well as other places. In biblical terminology, elders shepherd, oversee, lead, and care for the local church. Okay? And, and some of you guys might think like, okay, I thought a pastor led the church. Because right? that would be kind of the common thing that we would think about in this culture is, you know, Pastor David or Pastor Eric or Pastor Josh. And, you know, we think about the churches in our area, the churches that we've attend, and usually there's a pastor that's leading that church. And that confusion uh, is, it's 
normal or, or you know, common if you're not in a, a church that uses the term elders. You guys hear it more often because, because we say the term, but just so that everybody's clear, elder is a Greek word. In this passage, if we look at the original text, elder is a Greek word, presbyteros, and I hope that I'm going to pronounce these right. And you can see the Greek, the presbyteros, and then the, the translation. Uh, the, there's also a word called poimen, which is translated shepherd. And these words, you know, just like English, we would have shepherd and then shepherding or, you know, shepherder or, or you know, things like that. Like there's congregation, conjugations and different uses of the words, but there's these root words. And poimen means shepherd. Um, in this passage, it, it's actually shepherding. It, it's here in this passage. And then there's also a word called episkopos. So episkopos means overseer. And one of the things that has happened as the Bible's been translated, uh, we have a translation from poimen to shepherd, uh, and then in Latin, the, the translation was poimen to pastor, and so there's all of these kind of words, because English is a hodgepodge, right? English has Germanic and Latin and, I mean, all kinds of words just kind of poured into it, and as we look at the, the normal uses of the word, pastor, that word poimen, is the term that our culture has kind of latched onto. So elders, shepherds, and overseers are all referencing the same church role or office in, in the New Testament, right? All the same thing. Some of you guys are like, yep, I knew that. Some of us, you know, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. We see this clearly uh, all over the place, and, and this passage is one that actually gives us great confidence that these three things, these three uh, words are used for the same office, because if we look at it, in verse 1, it says, I exhort the elders, or the presbyteros, and then in verse 2, it says that they are commanded to shepherd the flock of God and to oversee, right? So there's their, their challenge to oversee and to shepherd. So elder kind of is the, the office, and then shepherding and overseeing are the two primary roles. So as we think about an elder, we're thinking about a pastor, as we would know it. But I, I just like the term elder because it highlights the difference in, in what we're, uh, we usually see. And the difference that we usually see is kind of the first point that I see in this passage. Because if you look at this passage, Peter is addressing the elders, not the elder. And, and you might say, well, wait a minute. In the beginning of the book, Peter's writing this uh, letter to the churches in the dispersion across all of like Asia Minor or, or uh, you know kind of Middle East area that that uh, the church had been dispersed to. Well, that's true. Um, and if this was the only passage, it, it might not be clear. But if we look all over the the New Testament, I mean, we could look in Acts all over the place. Right, Acts fourteen twenty three says. Uh, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And, and this was Paul and, and the, the team that was kind of going out and, and planting churches. And the last thing that they would do, they would come back and they would appoint elders. And in Acts 15.2, uh, there's some controversy. Paul and Barnabas 
This isn't they're kind of falling out. This is actually the controversy where they're having argument with uh, some other believers on whether the Gentiles have to be circumcised. And in Acts 15.2, it says, And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, being the, the people of the circumcision party or the, the other believers that were there, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So they went to Jerusalem, which had elders there at Jerusalem. And this is an important thing because, you know, we think of the apostles as kind of the, the leaders of the church in the New Testament, but even in Jerusalem, before the dispersion, before everything happened, they had apostles and then elders appointed to, to oversee and teach in the church. So even in Jerusalem, there were elders where the apostles were kind of based out of. And it makes sense, right, because apostle means to be sent. So the apostles weren't like the elders of the Jerusalem church. They were to be sent out to spread. And, and if we look at church history, um, most of the apostles went out. You know, Peter was, was in Jerusalem for, for quite a while, but, um, you know, even he obviously made trips out to the other churches and whatnot. Um, in Acts 20, 17, it says, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So this is Paul. Uh, they're traveling and, and he goes on to Miletus and, and stays there, and he sends for the, the elders of the Ephesian church to come to him so that he can give them some final instructions. And the final instructions he gives them later in the chapter, because he says he's going to go to Jerusalem, he, every, the Lord has told him over and over again he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be imprisoned, and there's going to be great persecution for him. But in 2028, he says to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So here Paul is addressing the elders of the church and, and tasking them to take care of the flock and to oversee the church. Titus 1.5, uh, Titus and Timothy both have kind of the qualifications for an elder, and, and Titus is one that starts with the qualifications for an overseer. It uses that uh, episcopos term. And then later in the chapter, it then talks about elder. So again, these terms are, are used interchangeably depending upon what book you're in and, and what the, the intention of the writer is to highlight. Uh, but in Titus 1.5, it says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So this is Paul talking to Titus and tasking him with that. So I've made this great case. I've looked at all these these words and, and references that elders is plural, and you're thinking possibly, why is this important? Well, the reason that most of us are familiar with the term pastor instead of elder is because the common church structure in the United States, and, and possibly even most of the world, is something like this, right? So like Jesus is the greatest authority, and then the senior pastor has the authority at the church level, and then under him are the associate pastors. And there could be, I mean, th th this has great different variety uh, in different churches, but th this associate pastor level is all under the senior pastor. And, and it's this, um, you know, it, uh, by some denominations it's called like the Moses model. Uh, most people just call it like the senior pastor model. And I, and I, and I want to make, I want to take a moment here and pause to say that I know and have attended many churches that have this structure and are fruitful for the Lord. 
And, and this is not saying that they're heretical or anything like that, but I disagree with that structure. And, and we disagree uh, as, an, as an elder team. We don't think that it's, you know, demonic or, you know, heretical to have it. We just think that it's not what the Bible encourages. And, and there is a ton of variants that we can apply Right? It, it's not like the, the Bible says, okay, this is the model, this is your org chart, these are your marching orders, and go. No, it just says appoint elders. And then it talks about deacons. So the structure at our church is more like this. Right? So Jesus is at the top, the elder board is over the church, and then we have deacons that are in charge of serving and supporting so that the elders can be uh, given over to preaching and teaching and overseeing the church. Um, we have some amazing deacons, and, and we're hoping to raise up more deacons and elders um, in the future as the Lord grows the church. And then under those deacons are you guys. And as we look at a structure like this and, and we think about like corporate America, we can kind of think like, oh, well, this kind of like makes us the consumer or this makes us like, you know, the sheep and in like a bad way where it's like we don't have a mind or we don't have a connection or we have to go through the deacons to get to the elders. And, and it's not that, right? Because this is not like an authority chart. This is a relationship chart. This is a responsibility chart. Because in Christianity, in the way that God has created the world, authority is given to people because they have a responsibility to serve, right? And that is countercultural. It's counter our flesh. So this, this is more what our church looks like, Jesus, elders, deacons, and congregation. This is like mind-blowing for people. And, and I, you guys, many of you probably are more used to this, but I was at a, a, like a pastor's luncheon on Thursday, and I was talking to these two guys. They're from two different churches, and um, one of them asked me, he said, oh, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah, um, I'm a pastor at a church in Menifee. We actually, there's three of us. We're an elder-driven church. And he went, really? Oh. And then the other guy went like, well, how does that work? And I said, well, I mean, like, we lead the church together. You know, like, we make decisions, we talk through things, and we lead it together. And he said, well, what happens when you guys can't agree on something? I was like, well, I mean, what happens when you can't agree on something in your marriage? Like, you work through it, you know? I mean, like, like, this is relationship. Like, this is what we do. And he just didn't get it. Like, he could not understand how we were able to function without a senior pastor to, like, make the final decision. And I just thought, like, there are very few things in the church that need somebody to come in and make, like, a final decision on you know, I mean, we have, he, we have disagreements every single week. I mean, Josh and I are practically opposite people. Renee's laughing. <laughs> we were at the last leadership meeting, and I don't remember what brought it up, and, and somebody said uh, something about the elder meetings or something, and I said, like, we have conflict all the time. And Eric's like, oh, yeah, David and Josh. I was like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Eric's not here this week, so we can say that. <laughs> But, I mean, we have disagreements all the time, you know, and I'm so thankful. Like, I am so thankful for Josh because I'm not the leader of the church. I'm not the example of the church, and, and we need to be checks and balances for each other because we are made in God's image. 
but we are not God's complete image. Amen? It's a good thing to have more than one elder. So as he was talking about this, you know, I, I just kind of kept sharing with him and, and whatnot, but I, I thought, like, the reason that he doesn't get it is because when we are thinking about church and we're thinking about senior pastors specifically, I think that we just feel like that authority has to be so sharp because otherwise there's conflict. And if there's conflict, then we've failed, right? But the Bible talks all about conflict. And the Bible gives us a path to avoid and to solve conflict. And, and it's here in this passage, right? Because in verse 2, Peter says, he gives, he gives instruction to the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And these are the keys to solving that conflict and, and to serving in a way that tries to avoid that conflict. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So we see the two functions of the office of the elder, right? Shepherding and oversight. Um, that is pretty clear. And they're to be done willingly, eagerly, and as an example to the flock. So part of what it means to, to serve as an elder and if we, if we look at this, especially that last part, the being example to the flock, is it's not about me, right? So if I understand that it's not about me, that being an elder at the church, it's not my church. It's not Eric's church. It's not Josh's church. It's not even your church. It's Christ's church. Like, we're his bride. Now, we belong to the church, we, like, it's our church in that it's, it's the church that we attend and it's a church that we're a part of, but we don't have the responsibility for it in the same way that Christ does, right? Like, he has taken that responsibility. And this is like Paul when he's talking about marriage and he says, you know, the husband is the head of the, the house as, the, uh, as Christ is the head of the church and this beautiful metaphor and, and setup that God has created in, in the marriage relationship that we would be able to see Christ's love for the church, that he is taking responsibility. Don and I have a marriage together. It's, it's her marriage as well as mine. But when I go to heaven and I'm standing in front of the Lord, I have responsibility and accountability for our marriage that Don does not. And she's thankful for it. She's back there like, amen. Like, I'm happy about that. Uh, you know, my children, like, I have responsibility as the head of this that's on me. And Christ has done that for the church, right? Like, Eric, Josh, and I don't have to grow this church. It's his church. We just have to be faithful. We just have to be diligent. We have to approach things willingly, right? And, and that means that if I'm willing to do that and I understand that, then I'm willing to go in and put my opinions aside. And that's why an eldership functions. That's why it's possible. If I misunderstand that and my purpose is to pursue my own means, right? If, if I'm put in a situation where my will can be linked to the will of God very easily, then what happens is I start being domineering, to make sure that my will happens. And I can do anything 
in my power to gain the outcome that I'm looking for. And that would be shameful, right? And that's exactly what Peter is talking about here. Because in this passage, he, he warns us, right? Uh, do not pursue it for shameful gain. Don't be domineering over the flock, but be an example to them. Like he makes it very clear what the role is. And if you have the opportunity for a group of elders to kind of work out their differences and seek to be examples uh, of Jesus to the flock, not of themselves, what that does is it allows the rest of the commands given to all believers to be lived out in that group and then be put on display, right? So what am I talking about? So in Ephesians, we are all called to submit to one another, right? Right before he starts talking about marriages and slaves and masters and, and you know, all of this, uh, the relational kind of family structure and church structure, he says we're all called to submit to one another in love, right? If that can be lived out in the eldership, that is a good thing. And, and in Philippians, we are called to count others more significant than ourselves, right? If, if Eric and Josh and I come to elders' meetings and we think, Josh has good things to say, Eric has good things to say, you know, if they think David has good things to say, then conflict isn't going to come up because we respect each other and we're seeking unity with one another. If that's our heart, that is the fruit of the Spirit, And if we can't do this with other leaders in the church, how on earth are we going to be examples to call the rest of the church to do it with one another? Like, it makes no sense, right? An an elder board, to me, is such a healthy thing. Like, we have had such a blessing in this church, I believe, because from, from the top down, we're seeking Christ in a biblical way. And, and I think that you guys see that. I hope that you guys see that. And I hope that you're encouraged by it. And I hope that you think, I want to do like they're doing. I want to live life like they are. And, and that's what we're called to. And that is a humbling thing. And we cannot do it apart from the Spirit, right? Like, there's nothing, like, we're not superstars. You know, I mean, even Paul and Peter, right? Apostles walked with Christ post-Pentecost, They've been planting churches. What happens? Conflict, right? Peter's, Peter and Paul are a place, and Peter's, you know, eating, chowing down, hanging out with the Gentiles or whatever, and then some of the circumcision party comes in, and Peter's like, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just head over to that room, and, you know, you guys be over there. And Paul's like, hey, this isn't right. And Peter receives it. Right? So it, it's, it's not about being perfect. It's not that we have some place that we've arrived to. We've just been tasked with things. And, and I believe, because of Acts, that we've been appointed by the Holy Spirit. And when we appoint elders and we are looking for elders, do you know why we need more elders? What do you guys think? Real question. Why, do, why would our church, a church this size, need more elders? You're like, wait a minute. I didn't think he was going to ask us real questions right in the middle of the sermon. That's crazy. More accountability? More accountability? Sure, right? I mean, more, more people, we hear more. You know, if everybody's got that heart, like, that's great to serve more people, right? How are we going to plant churches? This church plant, like, we are three years in or whatever. Eric, Josh, and I, and, and many of the people, like, we, we hear this all the time, we're refreshed, 
Like, this is good. Like, we look forward to Sunday. We look forward to gathering with the family. That does not happen often in church plants. Like, a big reason for that is because we didn't go out on our own. We didn't go out one person to go and try to gather everybody in. That We had support right from the beginning. You know, I mean, you think of the Trinity. I mean, here's Jesus and, and the Spirit and God in eternal communion with one another. Right? Like, like we're meant to be communal. And when we buy into that kind of like, okay, well, we need somebody to finally say yes or no, it's like, well, I mean, really only if we're all being sinful. Right? Because if we're seeking the Lord, we should be able to come to a unified agreement. It's sin that gets in the way. I mean, the book of James talks about that. All right. So that's why when we read in Titus and Timothy, right, like if we can't do this amongst one another, we can't ask you guys to do it. Like if, if we can't lead in this way, how can we ask people to follow? And, and just in the same way that we are completely dependent upon the Spirit and we need to lay our pride aside and our, our flesh aside on a daily and weekly basis, you guys need to do the same thing. I mean, that, that's life. You need to do it in our marriages, in our workplaces, in, in our Sunday mornings, uh, in our small groups, uh, you know, in our, our families, in our ch- with our children, with our friends. But this, this process, because elders are, are called to be examples, are called to have responsibility, there is in Titus and Timothy a list of qualifications about, uh, for elders. Um, so it's in uh, Titus chapter 1, Timothy chapter 3, uh, 1 Timothy. If you guys want to look at those later, you can kind of look through the list and say, okay, well, you know, Eric's doing okay on this one. Like, David might need some help on this one. You know, like, let us know. Like, I, I would love to hear the honesty if there's something that you feel like you, you guys are failing in. I mean, we are serving at God's discretion. And the moment we, stop, or the moment we start failing in that and, and start losing it, I do not want to be in that role because I don't want to shame God. Like, I don't want to cause conflict. There are many other people uh, I mean, I know people in this room who are exceptional men and, and have served in church and, and been elders and could easily take any of our place in a moment's notice. But, but if we look at those characteristics, we look at those quali- qualities, now there's oversight, uh, usually like the, there's one, you know, uh, husband of one wife, uh, children are submissive, you know, like household is in order. These are kind of good checks in a, in a man's personal life. Like, does he have the ability to oversee things? And then the second thing is this ability to teach. And, and those are the two actions of an elder, right? But everything else on the list is really about character uh, and reputation, like who they are as a person. And, and that's the big thing that Paul is looking for when he writes these two letters to Timothy and Titus as they're appointing elders. And it's not an exhaustive list. There's some, some differences between the two. So, um, you know, like Titus, uh, I think it's Titus. Uh, I had this in my notes, but I took it out, and, and I decided to say it. I should have left it in there. Titus, I think, says, uh, not a recent convert. And Timothy doesn't have that on his list. And, and there's, you know, just different description from one to the other. So neither of these lists are like an exhaustive list of, like, this is all the checkboxes that need to be uh, checked off. It's a starting point, right? So, like, one thing that I would add to the list, just in my experience, is I'm looking for elders. They better love the flock, right? If they don't love the people, why 
would they be an elder? I mean, I, I just think that would be absurd, right? If, if, if you don't love the people and you want to be an elder, your motivations aren't right, and, and that needs to be revealed. Um, so I think that, that those character traits, those things that uh, Paul is looking for in Titus and Timothy as he's instructing both of them in, in the churches that they were at in Crete and Ephesus, Peter is doing here as well. And, and I love some of the example that Peter gives. I mean, he kind of just wraps it all up in verse 5. Um, he, he's talking both to the elders and to the saints and calling us, for, us to submit to one another and be fruitful. Then the first step is this end of verse 5 where it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And, and I think... Peter demonstrates that in the passage, right? Because Peter is an apostle, right? He, he walked with God, or he walked with Christ. He was there. He saw Christ suffering. But when he starts this paragraph out, what does he say? He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, right? Like, first off, he says, I exhort, not command. He says, I exhort you. I challenge you. I, I ask you to do this. And he says, and I'm asking you this as someone who is doing it, not someone who is, who is above you and, and trying to command you. Peter was, right? Peter was, had a lot of authority, heard the word of God and, and, and walked with Jesus in a way. Like he had the authority. He could have said, I am an apostle and you are elders and you need to do this because it's been commanded by Jesus. But it's not the route he took, right? He, in all humility, he lived out what he was saying. You know, he spent a bulk of the letter encouraging people who were suffering, right? I mean, just the, the passage before talked about uh, suffering for doing good. And Peter was not unfamiliar with suffering, right? Peter was imprisoned. He was beaten. I mean, obviously, as he wrote this letter, it hadn't happened yet, but he was hung upside down and, and uh, crucified. There was a ton of suffering that Peter had gone through. But he didn't say, I have suffered. Instead, he talked about being a witness of Christ's suffering, right? So, I mean, he didn't point to his own suffering, his own victory. He pointed to the fact that he had seen Christ suffered, and that taught him how to live through suffering. So, you know, when we, we think back to that org chart here, you know, Jesus, elders, deacons, congregations. Jesus is connected at all the levels. Like, Jesus is the example. Like, we're trying to live examples and be the hands and the feet and the body of Christ here and now, but, but Jesus is connected at all levels. He reinforces that he is not the example, and, and he does that most clearly uh, when he says, when the chief shepherd returns, Right? So we do have a senior pastor of this church, right? We do have a chief shepherd. It's Jesus. And he is the chief shepherd because he is an example for us to follow that is perfect. And as, as, as I wrap up, as, as we, we get ready to take communion, and um, as, as we look at Jesus as the chief shepherd, the example he gave us was a life full of sorrows. It was a life full of persecution. 
It was full of betrayal and exploitation. Like, that's the example that we're looking at and following. And yet, he was a man who was patient and kind. I mean, I think of the, the widow when he's walking through the crowd, and, and the widow just touches his garment, right? And he says, who touched me? And, and, and at first, you know, there's, there's some trepidation, because she, was just, she, was, she didn't want to be a bother. She didn't want to, you know, she didn't know if he would accept her. She just knew that he had power to heal. So she reached out, and she touched him, and she was healed, and he knew, right? And, and here's a guy who's in a crowd, and there's people wanting to kill him, and he takes a moment and stops, and he's patient, and he's joyous that this person had faith to reach out to him. In all of the suffering that he had, it never broke him. He did this from birth to death, and, and he pointed people, even Jesus didn't point people to himself, he pointed people to God, right? And he did this from birth to death, and, and in a final act of obedience to suffering for doing good, in a final example of living in obedience even at the cost of everything, he died on the cross, right? So as we close today, you know, we're going to take communion, and as we take the bread, I want you guys to remember, like, there was a body that Jesus lived in, that he was born in, and that grew, and that body lived a life that was painful and humiliating and joyous and perfect, and satisfying, and God-glorifying, right? Like all of that man who had that sorrow and joy mixed together is represented in that, in that bread. And remember that he gave it up as a sacrificial act of love for God and as an act for us so that we could be reunified and as we take the juice, let us be reminded that Jesus is not just an example of how we are to live. He's also the first fruits of a promise that was fulfilled. Because the cross, though it was his final example as he lived, it was not the end, right? Jesus, the most powerful of beings, subjected himself to the most humble of circumstances so that God would look down on him with enough grace to cover our iniquities and our shortcomings and our failures and our sins committed in the past and in the future. Like he's disconnected from time. Like we, we're going through this moment to moment and we think, yeah, Christ forgave what was in the past, but there's all this junk in the future that I can't shake. And he already knows it. It's already been paid for. 2,000 years ago, and here we are letting it weigh on us, right? So as we take communion today, as, as we come up with that, and we take it, just remember those things. I'm encouraged by what Christ is doing in this church, and, and as, as my final challenge to you guys, pray what God is calling you to, because if we do not raise up more elders if we do not raise up more deacons, we can't raise up more churches. And that's what we need, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage us.
Lord, that you would challenge us. Lord, that you would cleanse us. Lord, I feel like our world is so full of distraction. I feel like there's the, the distraction of pain. There's the distraction of suffering that we have. Financial woes and marital woes. And Lord, I just pray for the relationships in this room. Lord, I pray that we would act with all humility, that we would clothe ourselves with it, Lord, that every day when we wake up and, and we put our clothes on, Lord, that we would remember to, to put humility on as well. Lord, I pray that we would trust you more. Or that we would trust that you are in control and that no amount of suffering, no amount of opposition against us means that we are defeated because we already know that it is completed, that it was finished, that it is done, that the price has been paid. And any suffering that we have, any temptations and trials that we are withstanding right now are there for our good and for your glory. And Lord, that sounds absurd, and yet it's so true and so comforting that you are in control of these things. Father, I thank you that you are shaping us despite our own opposition. I thank you that you are the head of this church. I thank you that you have a plan and a work for our people that you have gathered together. Lord, I pray that we would just live into that, or that we would hear your calling to serve and grow and, and live in a way that is honoring to you. And Lord, as, as we take the elements today, I just pray that you would you just wash us anew, Lord. Lord, that you just take the, the worry and the weight, the anxieties and the, the hopes and the dreams and all that, Lord, you just wash it away. You just clear our minds and Allow us to just enjoy being at your feet. Enjoy the work that you have done. Lord, we, we love you and we praise your name. And we ask that you would hear our worship together as we sing to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgracemenifee.com. Dot org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.